Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more on our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. This episode provides audio abstracts of papers published in the August 2023 issue of SIR's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. You can find the full papers on jvir.org. My name is Ramel Noche, and I'm your host for this episode. Hello, my name is Colin Standiford, and I am a second-year medical student at the Kurt Kikorian School of Medicine at the University of Las Vegas. I will be reading the abstract titled, Percutaneous Cryoablation of Plasmacytomas, Oncologic Effectiveness and Adverse Events, by Schmidt and colleagues. Purpose to evaluate the oncologic outcomes and adverse events associated with cryoablation of plasmacytomas. Materials and methods. Retrospective review of an institutional percutaneous ablation database showed that 43 patients underwent 46 percutaneous cryoablation procedures for treatment of 44 plasmacytomas between May 2004 and March 2021. The treatment of 25 of 44 tumors, or 56.8%, was augmented with bone consolidation cementoplasty. The median patient age was 64 years, and 30 of 43 patients, or 69.8%, were men. The median maximum plasma cytoma diameter was 5.0 centimeters. 30 of 44 tumors, or 68.2%, were periastatabular vertebral, or located in the iliac wing. 29 of the 44 cryoblated plasma cytomas or 65.9%, were recurrent tumors after prior external beam radiation therapy. Survival analysis were performed using the Kaplan-Meier method. Adverse events were graded using the Society of Interventional Radiology criteria. Results. The five-year estimated local tumor recurrence free survival was 85.3%, with a 95% confidence interval between 74.1% and 98.1%. The five-year estimated new plasma cytoma free survival was 49.9%, with a 95% confidence interval between 33.9% and 73.4%, and the five-year estimated overall survival was 70.4%, with a 95% confidence interval between 56.9% and 87.1%. Nine of 46 major adverse events, or 19.6%, occurred in eight patients, including three new or progressive pathologic fractures at the ablation site requiring surgical intervention, three nerve injuries, one avascular necrosis and femoral head collapse, one septic arthritis, and one acute renal failure caused by rhabdomyolysis. Conclusions Percutaneous cryoablation is a viable treatment option for patients with plasmacytomas, including those with recurrent plasmacytomas after external beam radiation therapy. Post-cryoablation adverse events are relatively common. Hello, my name is Khalil Qasim, and I am a fourth-year medical student at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, The Effect of Endovascular Treatment of Renal Artery Stenosis on Coexistent Aneurysms Associated with Fibromuscular Dysplasia by Chen and colleagues. Purpose. Endovascular data on patients with coexistent renal artery stenosis, or RAS, and renal artery aneurysm, or RAA, caused by fibromuscular dysplasia are scarce. 
and the outcomes from RAS specific treatment on RAA remain unclear. This study aimed to evaluate the safety and effectiveness of RAS specific endovascular management in patients with coexistent RAA caused by fibromuscular dysplasia. Materials and methods. Clinical and endovascular data on 19 patients with coexistent renal artery stenosis and renal artery aneurysm caused by fibromuscular dysplasia who underwent RAS specific endovascular therapy were analyzed prospectively. An RAA located within 10 millimeters of the renal artery stenosis was defined as stenosis-related renal artery aneurysm, and long-term outcomes were evaluated. Results. 19 patients underwent endovascular therapy. 21 renal artery stenoses were treated with balloon angioplasty alone, whereas three renal artery stenoses were treated with stent implantation. None of the renal artery aneurysms were treated directly. During an average of 4.2 years, plus or minus 3.2 years of follow-up, systolic and diastolic pressures decreased from 183, plus or minus 19.5, and 120.2, plus or minus 19, to 127.9, plus or minus 10, and 80.9, plus or minus 6.9, respectively with a p-value less than 0.001. The number of antihypertensive medications reduced from 1.7 plus or minus 1 to 0.8 plus or minus 0.3 with a p-value less than 0.001. The serum creatinine level remained stable. The maximum diameter of all renal artery aneurysms decreased from 14.6 millimeters plus or minus 9.7 to 11.3 plus or minus 8.4 with a p-value of less than 0.001. There was a significant difference in the improvement rate of the maximum diameter between stenosis-related renal artery aneurysms and non-stenosis-related renal artery aneurysms. Conclusions. RAS-specific endovascular therapy is safe and effective and possibly aids in preventing RAA progression in patients with fibromuscular dysplasia with coexistent renal artery stenosis and renal artery aneurysm. Hello, my name is Ronnie Festock, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Emory University School of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Change in Platelet Count After Transjugular Intrahepatic Portosystemic Shunt Creation, an Advancing Liver Therapeutic Approaches Group Study by Wong and colleagues. Purpose. To evaluate recovery of platelet count after transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt, or TIPS creation, and patient factors predicting platelet recovery after TIPS creation. Materials and methods. Adults with cirrhosis who underwent TIPS creation at nine U.S. hospitals from 2010 to 2015 were included in this retrospective analysis. Change in platelets from before TIPS to four months after TIPS creation was characterized. Logistic regression was used to assess factors associated with top quartile percentage platelet increase after TIPS. Subgroup analyses were performed among patients with a pre-TIPS platelet count of less than or equal to 50 times 10 to the 9th power per liter. Results. A total of 601 patients were included. The median absolute change in platelets was 1 times 10 to the 9th power per liter. 
Patients with top quartile percent platelet increase experienced a greater than or equal to 32% platelet increase. In multivariable analysis, pre-tips platelet counts with an odds ratio of 0.97 per 10 to the 9th power per liter, age with an odds ratio of 1.24 per 5 years, and pre-tips model for end-stage liver disease or MELD scores with an odds ratio of 1.06 per point were associated with top quartile platelet increase. 16% of patients had a platelet count of less than or equal to 50 times 10 to the 9th power per liter before TIPS. The median absolute platelet change was 14 times 10 to the 9th power per liter. 54% of patients in this subgroup were in the top quartile for platelet increase. In multivariable logistic regression, age was the only factor associated with top quartile platelet increase in this subgroup with an odds ratio of 1.50 per 5 years. Conclusions TIPS creation did not result in significant platelet increase, except among patients with a platelet count of less than or equal to 50 times 10 to the 9th power per liter before TIPS. Lower pre-TIPS platelet counts, older age, and higher pre-TIPS MELD scores were associated with top quartile or greater than or equal to 32% platelet increase in the entire cohort, whereas only older age was associated with this outcome in the patient subset with a pre-TIPS platelet count of less than or equal to 50 times 10 to the 9th power per liter. Hello, my name is Dr. Jeremy Brown, and I am a transitional year resident at Kawea Health Medical Center in Visalia, California. I will be reading the abstract titled, Transjugular Intrahepatic Portosystemic Shunt and Thrombectomy for Symptomatic Acute Non-Serotic Portal Vein Thrombosis by Shalvoy and colleagues. Purpose. To report the safety and effectiveness of transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt and mechanical thrombectomy, or TIPS thrombectomy, for symptomatic acute non-serotic portal vein thrombosis. Materials and methods. Patients with acute non-serotic portal vein thrombosis who underwent TIPS thrombectomy between 2014 and 2021 at a single academic medical center were retrospectively reviewed. 32 patients were included, 56% of whom were male, with a median age of 51 years. The causes for portal vein thrombosis included idiopathic, prothrombotic disorders, post-surgical sequelae, pancreatitis, and Bud-Chiari syndrome. The indications for TIPS thrombectomy included refractory abdominal pain in 14 patients, intestinal venous ischemia in 9, ascites in 4, high-risk varices in 3, and variceal bleeding in 2. Variables studied included patient, disease, and procedure characteristics. Patients were monitored over the course of a one-year follow-up. Results Successful recanalization of occluded portal venous vessels occurred in all 32 patients. Compared with pretreatment patency, recanalization with TIPS thrombectomy resulted in an increase in patent veins, with main portal vein patency of 97% from 28%, superior mesenteric vein patency of 94% from 13%, and a splenic vein patency of 91% from 66%, all with a p-value of less than 0.001. Three procedure-related adverse events occurred, graded as Society of Interventional Radiology Grade 2 Moderate. Hepatic encephalopathy developed in 1 of 32, or 3%, of patients after TIPS placement. At one-year follow-up, return of symptoms occurred in 3 of 32, or 9%, of patients. Ascites in one patient, variceal bleeding in one patient, and intestinal venous ischemia in one patient. The intention to treat one-year portal vein and TIPS primary and secondary patency rates were 78% and 100% respectively. 
seven patients required additional procedures, and the one-year mortality rate was 3%. Conclusions. TIPS thrombectomy is a safe and effective method for treating patients with symptomatic acute non-serotic portal vein thrombosis. Hello, my name is Nicole Kim, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Warren Albert Medical School of Brown University. I will be reading the abstract titled, Comparison Between Suprapapillary and Transpapillary Uncovered Self-Expandable Metallic Stent Placement for Perihilar Cholangiocarcinoma by Borges and colleagues. Purpose. To compare the effectiveness, adverse events, stent patency, and patient survival with suprapapillary and transpapillary uncovered self-expandable metallic stent placement for perihilar cholangiocarcinoma. Materials and Methods. This was a single-center retrospective study of 54 patients with inoperable perihilar cholangiocarcinoma who underwent percutaneous transhepatic biliary stem placement between January 1, 2019 and August 31, 2021. According to stent location, the patients were classified into two groups, suprapapillary and transpapillary. Demographic data, bismuth corelet classification, type and location of the stent, laboratory data, post-procedural adverse events, procedural success, stent occlusion, reintervention rate, and mortality were compared between the two groups. Results. Stent placement was suprapapillary in 13 patients and transpapillary in 41 patients. Mean age was higher in the transpapillary group at 78 years than in the suprapapillary group at 70.5 years, with a p-value of 0.046. Stent occlusion rates were similar in the two groups, as were the adverse event rates, the most common being cholangitis. There were no significant differences in revision rate and 30-day mortality rate, while 90-day mortality rate was significantly higher in the transpapillary group at 46.3% versus 15.4% in the suprapapillary group with a p-value of 0.046. Preprocedural bilirubin level was higher in the transpapillary group, as were postprocedural leukocyte and C-reactive protein levels. Conclusions Suprapapillary and transpapillary stent placement procedures were similar in terms of procedural success, occlusion rate, revision rate, postprocedural adverse events, and 30-day mortality. 90-day mortality rate and postprocedural leukocyte and C-reactive protein levels were higher in the transpapillary group, although these patients were also older and had higher preprocedural bilirubin levels. Hello, my name is Jonathan Jowski. I am a fourth-year medical student at Kansas City University. I will be reading the abstract titled, Safety and Effectiveness of Expandable Intravertebral Implant Use for Thoracolumbar Burst Fractures by Wei and colleagues. Purpose. To determine the safety and effectiveness of an expandable intravertebral implant, the spine jack from Stryker is a treatment option for patients with thoracolumbar spine burst fractures without fracture-related neurologic deficit. Materials and methods. Imaging studies before and after expandable intravertebral implantation and medical records of 33 patients, 11 men and 22 women, with an overall mean age of 71.7 years, plus or minus 8.3, were reviewed for 60 thoracolumbar type A3 injuries, secondary to osteoporosis, trauma, or malignancy. 
the mean follow-up time was 299 days. Results. Implantation of an expandable intravertebral device resulted in a statistically significant reduction in bone fragment retropulsion, a reduction in the extent of canal compromise, an increased central canal diameter, and a restoration of vertebral body height with a mean increase of 5 millimeters, all with a p-value of less than 0.001. However, the implantation did not result in a statistically significant kyphosis reduction. All patients, except for one, reported improvement in pain after surgery, with a mean improvement of 1.54 on a 4-point pain scale, with a p-value of less than 0.001. No clinically significant adverse events were reported. Conclusions. This study suggests that expandable intravertebral device implantation is a safe and effective treatment for thoracolumbar vertebral burst fractures in patients without fracture-related neurologic deficit. Although implantation did not result in a statistically significant reduction in kyphotic angle, it offered significant improvement in pain, vertebral body height, fracture fragment retropulsion, and central canal diameter compromise. We'd like to thank everyone who helped with this episode. My name is Siddhi Hegde. I'm a research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital, and I was your audio editor. The research from this episode appears in the August 2023 issue of JVIR, and you can visit jvir.org for the full papers, other audio content, and much more.